What if you really want to give birth in a hospital, but you also want minimally invasive treatment? Do you think an OB will really understand your desires and not only understand them, but listen to them? And is it even possible to have both of those things? Today's guest, Dr. Jacqueline Wirth, is a mother of two girls and an MD who's been delivering babies for over 20 years. And she admits that when she was pregnant, she did not get all of her questions answered. She actually wishes that her doctors had explained more and really had taken the time to listen to her concerns. Learning from her own experience, she opened up her own private practice in New York City called Village Obstetrics, and she has made it her mission to put mom and baby first, while also respecting the rules of a hospital. In today's episode, she explains what minimally invasive birth actually is and how to decide if you should really stay with your gynecologist as your OB. Sometimes we just stick with our gynecologist because we think that's the best path. Dr. Worth also shares with us the three tools that we can receive from the hospital and how doctors have to work within those tools to allow you to have either a spontaneous labor or go for an induction, which actually has great evidence-based research behind it. Joyful and unhurried are the two pillars of her intimate practice. And isn't that all how we envision our births? Or at least what we dream our births will be like? Joyful and unhurried? By finding an OB who puts you and baby first before procedures and practices, you'll find the confidence and strength to give birth as you desire. You are listening to the Mamas in Training podcast, giving aspiring and expecting moms guidance and community from moms who have been there. And I'm your host, Jessica Lorian. Now, I'm not yet a mom. My autoimmune disease has delayed my journey into motherhood, so I thought, what better way than to learn right alongside you and this beautiful community that we're creating? Our conversation today is really important because I didn't even know this type of care existed. Dr. Jacqueline Worth opened my eyes to know that you can still have the care of a hospital, if that's your choice, but also have minimally invasive care, have this individualized, focused attention and care. So let's get onto it. Onto the show. Doctors are bad patients, so you know too much and you also don't know anything. And so I had the the fortune or misfortune of being pregnant when I was training to be a doctor. I was a resident. And I think that made it more difficult because people assumed that I knew things and didn't tell me things. And I really didn't. You really don't know things when it comes to yourself, even if you know it intellectually in your field. And as a doctor in training, you don't know that much. So I got pregnant at 35. I am the oldest of six kids. I knew I wanted to have kids. And so when you're in medical training, there's no good time to do it. (laughs) I was in my last year of residency when I got pregnant, um, which is a little bit of an easier year, but it's also a very, a very difficult time. You know, you're working a hundred hours a week. Mm. And so the, the, the basic theme, when I think back about what I wish I had done differently is I wish that I had had providers that, that, I mean, I loved my doctor and she was wonderful, but I wish I had had doctors that explained things to me a little bit more. And and on some level took better care of me because I think I'm not so good at taking care of myself. Some people have that flaw. Many people are very good at taking care of themselves, but Mm -hmm. I, you know, 
do, 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 and didn't um, pull back and take enough care of myself. And so I would have done better with people around me that helped me slow down and, and take more care. And so that's certainly in my practice, we focus on that very much. We really work to try to make sure that our patients are communicating to us what they need, have the time to ask their questions and get their questions answered. I mean, as a direct response to, I think, what I felt was missing for me. One of the hardest things for pregnant women, especially when you, when they just get pregnant, is we don't even really know what questions to ask. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't know. Yep. And in the previous episode I did about finding your provider and knowing what questions to ask, that guest, Stephanie, gave us a wonderful list of some questions to ask. But if we know that we would feel more comfortable with an OB at a hospital, but we do want something a little bit more minimally invasive, as the common term is being thrown around here, what are some important questions that we need to make sure we're asking so that we get that kind of support? Well, I think the, the first thing to say is that um, many patients, if not most patients, are continuing on with the gynecologist they've already been with. You know, there's no natural transition to switching over to an OB. And so many, many patients don't get a chance to really ask any questions at all. They Mm -hmm. just tell their gynecologist they're pregnant and just continue in the pregnancy pathway. And so um, I think it's really important to pause. And, you know, someone who's a great gynecologist may or may not be a wonderful obstetrician and and may or may not have a practice that's structured the way you want to, the way you want to get your care. And so to, to realize that you don't have to just continue where you are. You may well want to, but you don't have to. And, and I know this because so many patients have come to us halfway through their pregnancies because they were unhappy where they realized along the way that they were unhappy. And, and partly when you're first pregnant, you know, you don't want to tell anybody, you don't want to ask around about where to go. So you're, you're very likely just to stay where you are. And then if you if you realize all of a sudden that the that the doctor that you're with doesn't share your your values in some way, you know you can feel quite stuck. Mm-hmm. So so I'd say two things with a friend, Dr. Adrian Simone. I actually wrote a book called The New Rules of Pregnancy, and uh, Danielle Claro helped us. And what I love about this book is that it's really really simple, and it gives you an overview of the whole experience. Mm-hmm. And and why I think that's so important is that. Everybody right now on the internet goes really deep, really fast, and you get completely overwhelmed with information, and it's really hard to get a basic overview. And so um, that's how that book was designed, and so I hope that might be helpful to some people. Because you can sort of see where you're going before you get there and realize maybe you need to redirect. And then in my practice, just because I think it's really important for patients to get their questions answered before they start care, um, we created visit where someone can come in and just talk to us and you know no charge just sit there and talk with both of the doctors and find out if it's a practice that suits them but it's an incredible luxury you know i started my own practice i'm i'm lucky enough to be able to keep it going and i don't have a hospital telling me you know that i have to see 40 patients a day or some crazy thing and so i'm able to have people in and just sort of say hey who are you what do you want what are you looking for i mean it's a it's a huge luxury that i've just insisted on but um, e- even if even if 
your practice doesn't do that, you know, just pause and just ask questions, you know, just to make sure you you like them and you trust them because you're so vulnerable. And if you don't have trust in those moments when you're so vulnerable, it can be really scary. And so, you know, the doctors are trying so hard. They really want to care for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you need, you need to feel that and believe it because there can be such scary decisions that go really fast. And so you need to really have confidence. And I think that comes from having a chance to ask questions. How would you define minimally invasive? What does it mean to you? Well, it's, you know, it's a, it's a phrase that my practice partner, who's a high-risk obstetrician, Dr. George Musali, came up with to describe our approach of respectful, careful treatment. But it's really kind of less is more. We don't want to jump in with big treatments for something that's so personal and so um, profound. But, you know, many people do need treatments. You know, you may need a little help really mm-hmm. in your in your prenatal care or your labor. I wish sometimes that this were as easy as just sitting back and watching someone labor. You know, it, it just isn't. You, it's, there's an art to medicine and sort of the experience gives you guidance about when to step back and when to nudge something forward. And so, you know, we want to try to do as little as possible, but but we're ready to do whatever is needed to keep the mom and baby safe. And you know, one of the great privileges of being a doctor, you know, I think it's terribly unfair in my field that the midwives are not allowed to do C-sections because they're, by license, they're not allowed to. But sometimes in birth, you have to pivot and deliver the baby surgically. And so I feel so honored that we're able to, through the training, that we're allowed to stick with the patient and both, you know, help her with her labor and hopefully deliver her baby vaginally, because that's on a population basis, safest for mother and baby, but then also transition and do her C-section if she needs that. I feel so lucky. In your practice and on your website, it's fascinating to me because you have all your birth stats. Skin to skin at delivery, 99%. Immediate breastfeeding assistance, 92%. Cesarean rate, 25%. I mean, all of these things that really are stats that many aspiring moms and pregnant women are looking toward. Periodically just try to go and count up what we do so I could see for myself. Like I was really surprised when I counted to see that the epidural rate in our practice was 60%. You know, I don't know if I thought it was higher or lower, but I mean, often what you think you're doing is not necessarily what you actually are doing. And Mm -hmm. so it's really important to periodically, you know, look and count and see so that you could sort of reflect on it. Our practice is small, you know, one or two patients will will change the change the numbers. If we looked right now, I don't know what our induction rate would be. I think it's probably a little bit higher because you have to offer patients inductions even though our patients don't really want them. As a responsible practitioner with the new data from the arrive trial, I think you're, you know, obligated to say to every patient, you know, look, an induction is a very reasonable choice. Do you do you want that? Mm-hmm. And so I think just the process of having that conversation, I think our induction rate has increased as, as it should. The ARRIVE trial was, um, I think now like four or five years ago, which was a study based on some data out of England of healthy, young, average age 23 women having their first babies. And they compared induction of labor at 39 weeks, which is the thing that we in the natural birth community think you would never want to do. Um, with um, waiting. 
And what the data showed to everyone's surprise, and it was published in the New England Journal and called, you know, practice changing study. What it showed was that the patients that were induced had a lower C-section rate, had higher patient satisfaction, and had fewer complications for mother and baby specifically related to hypertension. Hmm. And so, you know, when you have practice changing data that well done in I don't know, 47 different sites across the state, the United States, I don't have all the facts in front of me. Mm -hmm. um, you actually really have to offer induction to every patient because if, if, in, if the data shows that induction does that, you have to at least talk to people about that yeah. um, and say, you know, this is, this is good data and what do you want to do, do about it? What I tell patients is that being induced very much changes your experience in the hospital. Um, it medicalizes, for better or for worse, it medicalizes the birth. You come in and things are done to you to create contractions and the contractions are generally much more painful than spontaneous contractions. And you almost always need an epidural relatively soon. Um, and it's just a very different birth so that you're in bed and you're attached to a lot of things. For someone who's thinking about a more natural birth, it's sort of the antithesis of everything that they want. And so yeah. it's a it's an important fork in the road. So the data suggests that it's better, or at least, if not better, at least a reasonable option that needs to be discussed. Right. Um, as you can imagine, in our practice, we, I, I, our patients, for whatever reason, the patients that choose to come to us really don't want to be induced and have a much better experience when they go into spontaneous labor. But it's also hard to you know, it's, you know, when you start being at the due date, a week past the due date, it's hard to wait for spontaneous labor. And the, and the, the risk of complications with every day that you go past 39 weeks increases. And that's really can be really troubling for moms. Mm. So there are a lot of complicated things to think about and discuss. So therefore, I recommend that people do as many of the natural things. I mean, they don't necessarily work that well, but as many of the natural things that they can do starting at like 37 weeks to help make it more likely to go into labor. Acupuncture can help. The mild circuit can help. Um, physical therapy can help. Sometimes a membrane sweep at 39 weeks can help. Um, things like that. What's the mild circuit? Mild circuit is a series of exercises that can kind of open the pelvis a little bit, oh. and it can help the baby rotate to a more favorable position. I'll put a link to that in the show notes so people can check that yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you would say at, at 37 weeks is safe enough to start something like mm -hmm. those, those Yeah, do, and the acupuncturists like to see you even earlier. But yeah, definitely at 37 weeks, mm. do mile circuit. You know, I don't think, I haven't had patients tell me that things like breast pumping help. So I wouldn't, you know, focus too much on that. That might be too strong. And mm. castor oil, we don't really know that much about. Mm. But certainly acupuncture, mile circuit, physical therapy, um, membrane sweep. These are things that I think can be really helpful. What would you say are some things that we could do to encourage that spontaneous labor at home and stay there as long as possible? So, you know, staying at home as long as possible is not always the best solution because you need to know for sure that your baby is tolerating the contractions because mm. some babies get into trouble with contractions. And so to, to stay home until you're ready to push and walk into the hospital pushing, which is what, you know, <laughs> certainly I've had patients do that. And so you're taking a risk. 
And so you, you, I think you need to understand with your doula and your doctor or your midwife how to, how to walk that line of taking steps that help your labor be effective if you're lucky enough to be in spontaneous labor and not take any undue risks with your baby's health. Mm. And so, you know, when the labor gets strong, in my experience, having done this for a long time, you know, you really need to check on the baby's well-being. And unfortunately, that can really only be done um, in the hospital. Now, I mean, obviously, you know, people have home births and people check with intermittent auscultation and things like that. And so, you know, I'm speaking from my perspective as an OBGYN, but, um, you know, we have certainly come to believe very passionately in the monitoring that goes on in the hospital is essentially a evaluation of the oxygenation status of the baby. So babies can tolerate decreases, interruptions in the oxygen flow. The baby is getting oxygen from the placenta. They can tolerate that because they're 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 designed to be able to handle that for some period of time. But they can't tolerate it unendingly and they can't tolerate it too severely. And it isn't just things like Pitocin that interrupt the oxygen flow. You know, labor itself can do that. So you you need to be able to in, in, in my experience, check on that. Mm-hmm. And so to, to stay home as long as possible is not always the best solution. It's pre-labor. We come into the hospital. How long can we expect to be there and be there safely before maybe a, an OB is saying, okay, we need to have an induction? Like wh- where is that line and how do we walk that line? Because so many people encourage us as mamas in training to refuse an induction unless it's absolutely necessary and it's the safety of you or the safety of the baby. But it's like, mm-hmm. how do we know what to push and what not to push? Right. Maybe. It's so it's so tricky. So I'll tell you what I do. And it's and again, it's a luxury. So what I do is we have fetal monitoring in our office. And so the minute someone thinks she's in labor, I bring her to the office. I check her blood pressure. I do an exam to see if she's dilated. And I put the baby on the monitor for a period of time to see that the baby has a perfect category one, which is what it's called heart rate tracing. And once I see that, let's say she's two centimeters dilated and her blood pressure is perfect and her heart rate is perfect. Then I know from my experience that she can walk around, call me every two hours and walk around until the labor gets so strong that she needs to go to the hospital. Right. Cause I've, I've been able to judge then how, how she's tolerating the pain and um and and let her you know and and then have her basically represent to the present to the hospital when it's gotten much more intense Mm -hmm. and that strategy works really well because then at that point someone either is moving quickly or needs an epidural um or um well one or the other really if it's moving quickly or they need an epidural and then and then you're and then you're not then it's moving along really well Mm -hmm. Um, and, but again, that's a luxury having an office near the hospital and having, you know, being able to check on them independently and not, um, the problem that happens for a lot of people. And this is, um, is that they go to the hospital too early because they get scared. They go to the hospital too early. Their doctor tells them to go to the hospital because that is the most conservative advice. And then the labor stalls. And then they, um, and then the doctors need to augment the labor because the labor has stalled, and you can't stay there forever with a stalled labor, and they don't want to send you home. 
And so I use the, you know, I find that the doulas are really good at helping patients come in at the right time. Mm. You know, again, that's what the benefit of having a doula, you're not, you're not on your own, but without one, people often come in too early and then have this dilemma of being augmented, um, which, which they don't want because the Pitocin is so painful. Today, there seems to be such an increase in unnecessary medical intervention like I feel like to a certain extent it's that level of trust and communication of maybe us as patients not telling our provider that we don't want certain things and them knowing that routinely this is what they do so them sort of pushing this on us and then we're not communicating and then we're, we're stuck in this frustrating situation. I think it's I think it's poor communication actually mm. because Basically, when, when you're in labor, uh, either you're going to go into labor spontaneously. Prenatal care is a whole thing. It's, you know, nine months of care, eight months of care. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's very detailed and very comprehensive. And you want to make sure that, you know, the baby's growing and you're healthy and everything is healthy. And then at the end, un- unless you have a scheduled C-section, you know, either you're going to go into labor spontaneously or you're going to have your labor induced. And that's a really important fork in the road. And then once you're in the hospital, there really are only three tools that the doctors can use. And I say doctors, meaning doctors and midwives can use to help you. There's the tool of time, giving the process the time it needs. There's the tool of the relief of pain in whatever form that's in. And then there's the tool of medicine that can make the labor stronger. And that's all we have, right? Mm. There's, there's really nothing else. So sort of the, this whole concept of interventions you know, they're really just three tools that we have to help you besides doing a C-section. And so part of doing a good job is 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 having a lot of skill and experience in, in using those tools and having patients understand that some labors are really, really long and some are really, really painful and some need relief of pain. And then the relief of pain can cause side effects that may need a little labor augmentation. And so I think it's just important to understand that there are not that many things that can be done and um, to understand why your doctor or midwife is recommending these things and knowing that you have a choice, of course. And also, you know, the, the main secret that we have, the main tool that we use at Village Obstetrics, which is the name of my practice, is having a doula there with you for your first birth. Like it's absolutely, in my opinion, critical to having a good, safe and healthy experience because the the doula is somebody, you know, patients don't realize, moms don't realize, mothers-to-be, that the the hospital is a building full of safety equipment, right? Mm -hmm. It's basically a place that you go that has all these machines that are, you know, up to code and clean and ready in case you need them. And then um, there's so many safety procedures, like in the airlines, where every two hours, the doctors stand in front of the board and talk about each patient and why her labor is safe and what she may or may not need. And then you need to write a note that says all of that. I mean, there's endless stuff that needs to be done as part of keeping you safe. And so the the doula is somebody who can be right there by your side and help interpret for you what's going on Mm. and help you articulate your questions if you have questions and help you realize that some interventions are more important than others or something may or may not be needed. And so having that, you know, really interpreter and support person for your first birth is critically important in, in my opinion and experience in having it go well. 
Um, and it is a luxury to basically pay someone to be there with you, but it's absolutely, it's absolutely worth it. And, it, and there, the doula is not taking away from your husband or partner's role. It's, it's helping you be secure in the setting and have your questions answered. And that's the person that you'll talk to about the interventions, about what's coming and get your questions answered. What are some common misconceptions that pregnant women have about the pregnancy or birthing process? I think there's a huge misconception about the birthing process, about how painful it's going to be. You know, almost without exception, patients tell me that they're stunned by the pain. Every once in a while, there's someone who doesn't feel all that pain, mm. but I think that they are um, stunned by how bad it is mm. and that you need a team to help you cope with it. Um, and I would say, you know, that's why God invented the epidural. I mean, the epidural is, you know, does all kinds of things to the labor, but it's an incredibly effective tool to take away that intense labor pain. And so a typical labor for our patients will be, our patients are going into labor spontaneously. And then at some point, 60% of the time, it's just too much for them. And, and then to realize that there are, there are medicines for that. Mm. So that's, that's number, number one, and not to beat yourself up if you thought you didn't want one and now you do want one. You know, there's no way to know ahead of time how it's gonna go. You know, the, the second thing about that is the thing, if someone wants to do unmedicated birth, with it, which again, is not everybody, the main thing that gets in the way is time course, that if the labor is really fast, you can do it, which is why it's much easier for a second birth. Mm -hmm. um, but if the labor is really drawn out, it can just be too hard and take too long and you just can't, you can't do it anymore. Get too tired. And so I call that almost unmedicated birth. You yeah, know, you yeah. get almost there and then you have an epidural at the end and there's no shame in that. But now I have heard just to kind of nip it in the bud and get your opinion, I have heard that it can make your postpartum more challenging. Is that true? I haven't really seen that. Hmm. I don't think so. I mean, I think that when, when patients do unmedicated birth, they are incredibly, someone who wants it. And actually, so just to pause, I've met patients who had unwilling unmedicated birth you know, and that that's like torture. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it needs to be somebody who wants to do unmedicated birth and then accomplishes it. They're incredibly proud of themselves and they're on like almost like a, like a marathon runner's high. They're <laughs> yeah. just like soaring through with the oxytocin and they're in like in an altered state. Mm. And so I think for those patients, they feel so good that maybe in comparison, someone who has an epidural, maybe, I don't know, and doesn't quite have that intense high that people have when they do a medicated birth, that it feels like a little bit of a contrast. That makes sense. But I don't see people who have epidurals having any trouble postpartum. What are some techniques that you recommend for labor before we jump into something like an epidural? You know what, unfortunately, because epidurals work so well, um, all the other methods, all the other hospital methods of pain relief have fallen by the wayside. You know, when I started working in this field, we used to give IV narcotics. We no longer do that. Nitrous oxide has returned, and we actually had a patient who donated money to, so that Mount Sinai could buy some equipment for nitrous oxide, which I was really proud of. But with COVID, all the nitrous has been stopped. So it's really epidural or nothing, which is so inhumane, yeah. you know? How can you say, well, how can there be no other option but an epidural? It's yeah. crazy, in my opinion, but that's kind of the way it is right now. Um, 
so therefore I think positioning, you know, I have all my patients bring a birth ball so they can sit on the ball. Um, some patients will use a TENS machine. I don't know if it's allowed in all the hospitals, but it's sort of something used in England. It's in a electric machine that you put on your back. You know, a lot of the doulas mm -hmm. know about it. Um, you know, trying to be, to be upright and mobile, coping with the contractions. You, you can, you can sit on the ball and lean forward and hold onto the bed and still be monitored, but be upright. Mm -hmm. And I think that helps a lot. And, and it's super important to write a birth plan because the people working with you, and when I, in, in my case, you know, I know what our patient wants, but the nurse that takes my patient in labor doesn't know what she wants. And so it's really helpful to have it written out. You know, I wanna do delayed cord clamping. I wanna do skin to skin. I wanna delay the eye ointment and the vitamin K for the full hour. You know, I wanna have the golden hour with my baby. I wanna, all the different things that you might write in your birth plan. And then they, not everybody wants those things. Mm. And so they know that that's what you want and then we'll help you, help you do that. And I think also it's important to know that in a hospital, the nurses choose the, I think in all hospitals, at least in my hospital, the nurses choose the room that they're working with. And so a nurse that wants to work with a patient who wants a more natural approach is going to see the birth plan and, and there's going to be good collegiality between the nurse and the patient. And that's something that really helps. Mm. In our book, The New Rules of Pregnancy, I wrote out a simple birth plan for people. Mm. Just knowing that these places exist and being able to do the work to find them is is really the first step. So I just thank you for creating what you've created. Oh. It's wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, I'm really proud of Mount Sinai. I mean, one of the things I love about working at Mount Sinai, and I've worked at a couple of different hospitals, is that they take the patient's birth plan extremely seriously. Like the nurses, I have all our patients do a birth plan, and the nurses read the birth plan and go to great lengths to honor what the patient is asking for at her birth. Mm. And I think that's so wonderful because it's not like that everywhere. And so if our patients want to do skin to skin, which all our patients do, then the nurse will, I mean, unless the baby's at risk, right. the nurse will make sure that, that that happens. And when I say the nurse, because if I'm delivering the baby, I can't, I mean, I, I can put the baby on the mom, right. but I can't make sure that she does the skin to skin because I'm busy right. with the bleeding. Exactly. <laughs> Down at the other end, right? <laughs> yeah. And so I'm focused on the bleeding. So, you know, you need a, a team that supports you in, in what you want. And so Mount Sinai has brought in clear drapes for the C-section. You know, we do a technique called gentle C-section where the mom can see the, and there's some great videos about gentle C-section that you can mm -hmm. look up online. One's out of Harvard and one is called gentle with a J. That's the original one mm -hmm. from England. And, you know, to, to be able to see the baby at the moment of birth through the clear drape is so powerful mm. to moms and dads and partners. And so um, I'm really proud that my hospital, you know, we, we asked for it, but that they went ahead and got these drapes yeah. and put them on every birth set so that, you know, anybody who wants it can have it. And the nurses are focused on skin to skin and um, delayed cord clamping. You know, they really, they really do a great job. So it's not me. I mean, maybe, we inspired them, but it's, it's, you know, the hospital has embraced this, what's called baby friendly approach. Yeah. That's so wonderful. Cause I'm it really just kind of, of yeah. finesses the whole environment. If we are going to choose an OB on hospital and we, or we have no other choice, it just sort of allows us to have a combination of some of those things that we might mm -hmm. desire. 
I'm so happy that I found you to have this conversation. Even if you're not in New York City, there may be practices out there who are, like yours, obstetrics only, women who are actively pregnant and have this really focus and value first. You say right on your website too, joyful and unhurried, which is just... <laughs> joyful and unhurried. It's just so beautiful. Yeah, I you. love it. So nice of you. And I, ho I hope our book helps helps women understand a little bit what's what's in front of them so that they can try to get the best possible help from their midwife, from their doula, from their doctor, you know, to be able to engage because everything is so rushed now, you know, and the the practices are so busy. And so you have to advocate for yourself to, you know, get the information that you need. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, the link to the book and also the link to our giveaway that we're going to do and the link to you and Village Obstetrics will all be in the show notes so everyone can go check you out, get more information from you. Jacqueline, thank you so much for your time. After just delivering a baby and 48 minutes ago, <laughs> I'm so grateful that we were able to talk. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for asking me. I'm really honored. So we got our answer. How can we have a minimally invasive birth in a hospital with a supportive OB, communication, and a birth plan? First and foremost, make sure that you don't just assume that you and your gynecologist will be a good fit for pregnancy and birth. Even though you may have been seeing them for years, they may not share your same values for this stage of life. It's really important to ask questions of them to make sure that you're on the same page. And if not, find an OB who's in line with your vision. And remember that you may have to look into smaller practices to find it. Finally, make sure you create a birth plan so that your preferences can be documented and then shared with those present at your birth. Even if your journey doesn't go according to your plan, you have a place to start you have a reference point. Sometimes it can be hard to know what actually is important to you or what things should be on your birth plan. If you want to get feedback on your birth plan, then join us in the Mamas in Training Facebook group today so you can post up your birth plan and hear back from a supportive group of seasoned mamas right away. All you have to do is click on the link in the show notes and be welcomed in. Your post will go up today and you'll get a bunch of responses, I promise you. And I can't wait to see you there. If you enjoyed the show today, new episodes release every Wednesday. So be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. And help us grow our mama community by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. That way I know how to better serve you. And finally, I would love to connect on Instagram. You can find me at Mamas in Training Pod. That's M A M A S in Training P O D. For Mamas in Training, I'm Jessica Lorian. We're in this together. <laughs>